Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. In today's episode, we talk about working from home and the proposal to cut the pay for those who do. We ask about boundaries and therapy talk following the controversy surrounding Jonah Hill, plus the FIFA World Cup free-to-air gender gap. We are going to get right into that. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 13th of July, 2023. My name is Angela Priestley. I'm the publisher on Women's Agenda and uh, I am joined by my co-founder and Women's Agenda editor, Tyler Lambert. Hello, Tyler. Hey, Ange. Uh, now, we did miss last week. We were both away. Apparently, that's okay, both on holidays, which is very nice. But um, <laughs> aside from that, I mean, there's just been so much to discuss. So I appreciate that we are not getting to everything in this episode, but we hope that we will get to as much as we can. First, let's start with the wins. What is your win this week? My win this week is a pretty big one in women's health and the medical abortion pill will become easier to access under new rules that allow more doctors and all nurse practitioners to prescribe it. So this medication was previously only prescribed by a doctor with specialist certification and then dispensed by pharmacists. But the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, scrapped the restrictions on it this week And it's a really significant move for anyone seeking to access pregnancy termination and it's made it much easier for anyone needing to do that. So I think that that is a really good win and I'm glad that the debate around this issue is changing as well um, because I think, you know, so often we hear, well, it should be a more challenging thing for women to access because maybe they're not thinking it through properly, you know, that's a debate from alt-right, often religious commentators, but I think... I mean, they can make their own choices. That's what I say. <laughs> you know. Um, no, it's so... I yeah. mean, it's a huge win. It's like one of the most transformative things in reproductive healthcare, I think, in history. Like, it's huge. But again, it also goes back to the idea that we can't just take it for granted. It's, it's you know, it's a win, but you never know how these things can disappear and be taken away. So these kind of rights and access, as we know from the US experience, we can never take for granted and always have to be vigilant about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thankfully, our uh, political structure is slightly different to that of the US, which is certifiably a hot mess. But I completely agree. I think that these things can always, you know, shift and, and we always need to be advocating in the right way. But Certainly, this is such a huge move and one that will really change the lives for a lot of women. Exactly. What's your win, Ange? So my win is from the Commonwealth Public Service, there's 174,000 workers across 103 agencies and there's been quite a big union negotiation and fight for more flexibility, particularly around the right to work from home and particularly around avoiding caps on working from home. So the union's negotiations have been successful and there is a new deal, meaning that they will remove the caps on working from home. There is going to be more things in place to kind of bias and push towards requests to work from home being approved and requests for flexibility being approved and a shift when you know things like that are refused that it's going to be harder for those agencies to justify why they will need to justify why they are refusing these things so I think that is a significant win because under the Morrison government there was this push kind of away from flexible work they wanted 
the public sector workers back in the offices where they could return to work. Um, I think we're also seeing across the private sector now, particularly, we're seeing, you know, some CEOs of some really big employers coming out and saying that they want workers back in the office. Mm -hmm. There is you know, these, these sort of subtle movements that are really looking to make, if not requirements for as many employees in po- as possible to return full time, then definitely putting these sort of caps on saying you have to be in the office 50% of the time or three days a week or four days a week. And as we know, a lot of people have really set up their lives and have accessed huge amounts of other opportunities and things because they are working from home and this creates a lot of difficulty and uh, further challenges. So I think it's a huge win from the public sector And I think it'll support them in being a model employer going forward and great work from the unions making that happen and pushing for this. And let's see how, uh, you know, they will be able to get some of the best talent because we know that Australians do want to work from home. They do want that option to work from home. Yeah, I think it is a really bold move, particularly in this kind of climate and with, you know, those conversations circulating around people needing to get back to the office, you know, to return back to what we we always had, um, to, you know, really boldly go, no, actually we're going to go completely in a different direction and we are going to make sure that this is a collective thing that people can access from here on out. It's quite a bold statement from the APS. And, you know, hopefully it is one that the private sector takes stock of. We ran a roundtable only recently and that was with quite a lot of you know, senior executives across the corporate space. And they were also very progressive leaders for the most part. But I think that there was quite an interesting attitude among a lot of the businesses that were involved in that roundtable about the need for people to return back to the office. And that, you know, this has been a period that came off the back of the pandemic, but it won't be the way moving forward. So yeah, no, I like to see that others are doing it differently and and, um, there's a new agenda being set. Yes. Hey, so still on working from home (laughs) and potentially one man's push for a new agenda. (laughs) Let's get to Jeff Kennett. Yeah, former Victorian premier. I love it when Jeff just rears his head. You know, like every every you know couple of years or so, you get a real doozy from Jeff Kennett. So, um, no, this is this is a good one. Former Victorian premier Jeff Kennett, so premier in the nineteen nineties. Um, I might throw in a little few details about his personal life, which I went and had a look at this morning. So, married since nineteen seventy two, had four kids in the seventies. So, you know, they were doing okay by the nineteen nineties uh, when he was. Was premier and in the lead up to being premier, I presume, I mean, I'm making a few guesses here given the timing of it and what we know was going on in the you know, 70s and 80s and that his wife, Felicity Keller, probably did a lot of the load at home and maybe he had some access to some help and resources. I don't know. We, we don't have to get into that, Jeff. But anyway, Jeff has this proposal out today that says that basically he wants, you know, to get the frontline workers paid more. Great idea. Let's do that. We are all for, you know, frontline workers like childcare educators, teachers, nurses and the like to be paid more. But he says like one way to pay for that would be this proposal to basically cut the pay of those who work from home on account of the fact that they are saving money in travel and commuting (laughs) and they are saving, you know, stress and energy and all these other things and therefore – we could dock it. Like I think any suggestion is kind of like dock it according to how many days. So you lose a little bit for one day from home, a little bit more for two days. <laughs> so if you're working full-time from home, it's you know, those travel costs that you would have been paying have coming right off. 
<laughs> and somehow they're going to land in the bank accounts of those on the front line. So, uh, Tala. Yeah, not just in like Great idea. A, myriad, a myriad of government rorts. That's where the money would actually end up. Um, look, I yeah. think essentially Kenneth's point around paying frontline workers, which you just made before, is a really important one. Clearly we need to be doing that. And there is, you know, there is a discrepancy between people that can work from home and there may be growing kind of disgruntlement from, you know, frontline workers that really do need to to kind of go into that workplace against the backdrop of people that are more freely working from home and working remotely. I completely accept that. But I think, you know, the notion that that money should be taken as like, you know, robbing from Peter to pay Paul or whatever the saying is. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, I know. I was trying um, to think of that this morning, but that's, I think, it's something <laughs> like that. Who cares? I mean, we, but it's like, we got the gist. I yeah. mean, it's, so, yeah. it's just so weird to think that would be the suggestion um, that, you know, you're going to be taking, docking money off people that are already, let's face it, in a really big cost of living crisis, a lot of people, and then paying frontline workers with it. It is just pretty absurd but the only good point that Kenneth made in that I think is you know that we definitely absolutely 100% need to be paying frontline workers more but we could do that through lots of different things and we could take money out of really dumb deals that move ahead every single day to do that effectively as well. Yeah. I mean, with that, uh, the saying, robbing Peter to pay Paul, whatever it is, we may have it wrong, but, uh, you know, it's it's kind of robbing, you know, Jenny to pay Anita because what we know <laughs> is that women's workforce participation is, you know, at this all-time high at 63%, which is great. And I don't know why we'd want to do anything that could potentially erode that. And, you know, we know that, you know, if we're looking at teachers, if we're looking at nurses, feminized industries, like highly, you know, these, these are workforces that are dominated by women. We want them paid more. They're on the front line. But then if we're looking at the work from home breakdown, we also know that uh, women are leading there, especially where they often don't have the choice. Uh, you know, Jeff Kennett has talked a lot about choices. Like if you're making the choice to do this and you should get to, that that's not the case. What we're actually seeing here is that work from home has opened opportunities for women, particularly, and you know, those with disability as well, those who work who live regionally and remotely, for all these people to access working opportunities that maybe they didn't have access to before, or, you know, just to live a bit of a different life that is able to have a little bit more time for their families later on in the afternoon because they're not commuting and or maybe to move regionally or remotely because they can do so on account of the fact that they've got more options to work from home. So it's just so bizarre. And, of course, this guy makes this proposal. Like he has everything mm-hmm. in place to tick off to say, yeah, it's great for you. You had an excellent career going to an office and no doubt having some kind of support at home and in a time when it wasn't, you know, the double income households that you were more traditionally getting now with working families, like – of course, it's his proposal. And then I heard him on ABC Radio yesterday and he's like, he was at pains to point out that he was travelling to the office yesterday. I was like, good <laughs> on you. I love going to the office. I love getting away from like the domestic load and the mess that's at home. Like yeah. it's not necessarily, you know, it could be a really good thing. I even enjoy the, you know, a bit of a commute. It's like, I know that's not the case for everyone, but the same, there are benefits there and like, there's a lot of crap that people take on when they are working from home as well. Um, they can often take on more unpaid care responsibilities. They can actually take on more of that unpaid workload and things like that. So, yeah. I mean, it's just a dino attitude really, I think. And it's unfortunately what we expect from people like Jeff. <laughs> it's dino talk. 
Like they're telling their truth. There is no truth. truth in what Jeff Jeff Kennedy is saying. Let me tell you. In my day, we went to the office. <laughs> anyway, um, we should move on. So on to our next story this week, and it is one that has caught the attention of a lot of people. It has been circulating across social media and it was sparked by actor Jonah Hill and internet personality Darius Jackson and around the use of therapy-like language that they have employed to hide their misogyny in relationships. Um, So for those who aren't aware, both men have been making headlines because of comments that they have directed at each of their girlfriends and former girlfriends in the case of Jonah Hill. But Hill's backlash came about after his ex-partner Sarah Brady, a surfer and a law student with considerably less power and profile from Jonah Hill, um, shared screenshots of alleged messages that he had sent her during their relationship. And the texts show Hill's boundaries for their relationship included requirements for her not to surf with other men or post pictures of herself in a bathing suit and also, you know, not to have unstable friendships <laughs> with women that were in. <laughs> sorry, I should not laugh about this. But that final one just got me. Yep, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> God forbid so, she might come home and like have a complaint or something to say about something that happened with her friends. But anyway, go on. Yes. I mean, absolutely bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. And look, if you haven't had a look at these text messages, go and look at them because you'll realise how ridiculous and controlling they really are. Um, but in a similar controlling manner to Hill, the boyfriend of well-known actor Kiki Palmer and father to her son Darius Jackson came under fire for criticising a sheer black dress that Palmer wore to an Usher concert saying on a post that she she put up on social media, it's the outfit though, you a mom." <laughs> then he doubled down on his comments, so, you know, because people started to criticise him, he started to double down on what he'd said and he said, we live in a generation where a man of the family doesn't want the wife and mother to his kids to showcase booty cheeks to please others (laughs) and gets told how much of a hater he is. This is my family and my representation. I have standards and morals to what I believe. I rest my case and what a case to be rested. Um, Anyway, this is absolutely ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous, but it, actually isn't it goes further than being ridiculous obviously because it really highlights how many women are in these incredibly toxic relationships where coercive control is just used flagrantly um and rebranded as therapy talk and in Jonah Hill's case you know his boundaries and I don't know I think that there is and a lot of people have unpacked this in recent days including one of our journalists Brianna Boker but you know I think what it does is present a sign of a deeper social issue and I know from conversations we've had with the team you know a lot of the women on our team have experienced men like this I know that I've experienced men like this I'm sure you have where it is this cover-up of people trying to be woke trying to be feminist and I actually read a good article about the notion of a feminist liar you know they're Mm. trying to like portray themselves as feminists but really the underbelly of what they believe is that you know women are subservient they should be subservient they should be covered up they're essentially you know misogynists so Mm. this is an issue and I think we need to be talking about it more because we tell young women to get into relationships with good guys and if guys are portraying themselves as good guys and then you're getting in a relationship with them only to find out later that there's this more kind of insidious latent misogyny that's going on and this therapy talk to kind of cover it up 
it's an issue. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, we have a bit of a laugh here, but this is obviously really serious. And this issue of coercive control and emotional abuse into the public spotlight and full credit to the two women calling this out. And I might note with Sarah in the case of Jonah Hill that, you know, like that power imbalance is severe, like you just mentioned. And so she had the courage to call this out. A really well-known person involved who would have, you know, his army of fans and supporters, many of whom are, and I've seen, are already attacking her. I mean, she's getting a lot of support as well, but like they will go after her. That's how this works. But they've really highlighted these real red flags around coercive control. And it may start with things like boundaries or making a comment about what you're wearing and what you should be wearing, what mum should be wearing, that kind of thing. But it can really expand out from there. And I know like the ABS estimates that around 2.2 million women in Australia are affected by partner emotional abuse. And what we know is that also many people don't actually see the signs necessarily. Um, We don't actually necessarily know that that is what's occurring because we think of family and domestic violence and abuse as being about um, physical abuse and physical violence when actually, um, you know, it it goes so much further than that. It goes to this, it goes to financial control, financial abuse and, and other issues too. And um, I didn't actually think about this yesterday when we were talking about this discussion, but I wanted to bring it up here. And so I am about to talk about, you know, domestic and family violence and, and, and murder here. So please note that. But on coercive control, in the last few years, we've seen Australia really push national approach to dealing with coercive control, including states that are moving to criminalise coercive control. And a lot of that is, you know, really thanks to the amazing work of the parents of Hannah Clark and the grandparents of Hannah's three children. So Hannah and her kids were murdered by Hannah's estranged husband, in uh, Rowan Baxter, in 2020. And we saw a, a public inquiry, we, inquiry into those horrific murders. We also learned that Rowan Baxter, I believe, had never been physically abusive towards Hannah in the lead up to what happened but that he had subjected her to, you know, escalating uh, manipulative and controlling behaviours. And I've heard Hannah's parents speak really um, incredibly powerfully about this and some of the things that they witnessed and how, you know, the work that they've been doing to call attention to this. And I encourage people to, to go out and find some of those sources. They've spoken particularly on a couple of good podcasts, which we can share links to. So, you know, this is a really, really serious issue. And it's really important that more of us can learn to see, you know, what might be some, some red flags to throw up. I think it's important to throw up these really high profile and public examples and to see people calling this out and saying, I don't care how powerful and influential this person is or how many people love this person, but this is what they are doing and this is what is happening behind closed doors and I've got the receipts to show it. Mm-hmm. I might just give a couple of, if you, if you or someone you know is impacted by um, sexual assault or family or domestic violence or any of these issues that we are discussing here, just a reminder that you can call 1-800-RESPECT on one 800 737732 or visit 1800respect.org.au. So shifting to something very, very different now. So FIFA Women's World Cup is kicking off next week. Very exciting. Australia versus Ireland. Big match. So obviously held across Australia and New Zealand. It is going to be so exciting. It is hugely transformative for women's sport in Australia and internationally. And we all know the value and the beautiful things that women's sport bring to the community. Unfortunately, as we have learned, we can't actually watch all the matches on free-to-air television. We're only going to be able to access around 25% of them. The rest you'll have to go to Optus for and pay 
I think it's around $25 or so a month. So you will have to pay to access those schemes. But yes, only 25% on free-to-air TV, which is very different to what we saw from the men's uh, FIFA World Cup, where you could access 100% of them on free-to-air TV if you're willing to be up at about 1am, 3am, 5am. I often saw some of the later games because I am up that early. But uh, So very, very different. Um, And I guess we saw this kind of come through the last couple of days and it's not so much the Optus part of it but I guess the Channel 7 part of it why are we not seeing the value in showing these games live and um, really making a huge spectacle and think about this this is going to be huge women and girls particularly love to see it but so too do men and boys and everyone else this is incredible we want to see the Matildas but we also want to see all the other games as well what's your take on this Tyler? Oh yeah I think it's ridiculous and also it just doesn't even make sense you can't even begin to claim that people are not interested in the Women's World Cup. It's all people are talking about at the moment. My nephew, who I just went on holidays with, is 10, and he is absolutely like beside himself with excitement about the tournament. Um, they've already purchased tickets to go to the semifinals. So, you know, I think it just doesn't stack up why this wouldn't be televised freely to everyone. And I think it's a really big missed opportunity. Well, you know, when we know the impact and the huge positive influence that women's sport can have on particularly little girls watching the game and, um, you know, where they see themselves and if they've got aspirations to be in sports or, or to, to follow a similar trajectory, you know, like this is actually really meaningful to, to kind of have access to that. Um, $25 a month for a lot of families right now is actually a lot. It's not an easy thing to cough up, particularly when, there are so many other things, you know, contending with with that. And certainly something like streaming platforms is the first thing to go on a family's budget, you know. So I think it's really sad that this is where we're at. And I hadn't actually, you know, recognised it myself until our news editor, Madeline Hislop, really kind of called attention to it this week and, and you know, wanted to, to do a bit more investigating into it. So, yeah, massive bummer. Yeah. Can I make a little point on this as well? And that is, I noticed in like in my gym this week, they were calling, um, you know, when you get offered the, you know, go in this uh, sweeps competition or tipping competition or whatever it is for AFL or NRL, or they've got one going for um, the Premier League, the upcoming Premier League season. And I looked at that and I was like, we've literally got the FIFA Women's World Cup happening next week and where are the signs for, for that competition? And I also thought about it in the context of my kids, you know, schools and things like that. And I don't know if um, I haven't heard any mention of it in my current kids' school. It might change next week. and But maybe all of us, if we really try to kick up a bit of a stink to make sure that just like whatever those schools were doing for the FIFA Men's Cup, that they're also doing for the Women's Cup. Like, I mean, I know that last year we had like our boys were coming home where they got given like a country that they were supporting and they would colour in flags of that country and they made it all fun and it was all cool. I haven't heard anything about that for the Women's World Cup. So mm-hmm. if that's happening in other preschool schools, uh, gym, whatever the things that you do, like go and like kick up a fuss about it and make sure that this is getting the attention that it deserves. And I don't want to sound like an asshole here, but like, I mean, at least the Matildas have a chance of actually winning the thing, you know? Yeah. You know, Matildas are in with a red hot chance. <laughs> we, we like Samantha Kerr, he's like, what, can we call her the greatest player in the world? Am I allowed? Like, is, like, 
we have I think the you can because that's what Aussies do. We world. claim, yeah. we claim, we claim we've got the best but of I everything. But I feel like that's like a universal <laughs> kind of feeling, right? Like it's just so awesome, and it's coming the first time in the Southern Hemisphere. It's happening next week, and let's all get behind it and get excited. And I know we will be doing that on Women's Agenda, and we have got um, we've got some guides already available there, um, and we'll be thinking of some other ways to make sure that we can get it covered. Hundred percent. Uh, yeah, we did hear from Optusport yesterday, so they did want to make note that, um, you know, they will be providing free access to the highlights of every match via their streaming platform and on YouTube. So they, you know, they wanted to make note that that, that is certainly happening. I feel that I'm sort of feeling more the issue here is the Seven Network and I just, you know, try a little bit harder, Seven. Oh, what? The Seven Network I mean, is falling short. a few other issues with you, but like. But seven <laughs> Network's falling short. No. Blow me down with a feather. <laughs> uh, I think we should uh, get to our final thoughts. I mean, I mentioned that um, we we have got a lot published on Women's Agenda regarding uh, robo debt and some really good pieces there. I wish that we could have had a bit of a conversation last week, but um, I really wanted to make note in our final thoughts section here. Like, I, I really wanted to highlight. Um, a few pieces and a podcast I actually heard on this on 7am this week and that is Colleen Taylor. Now Colleen is a Centrelink worker turned whistleblower and she gave really strong evidence at the Royal Commission into robo-debt. Amazingly, she could actually recall a lot of the things that were going on when a lot of people in very senior positions just could not recall. Um, but I just think that she is a poster child of what it means to, uh, you know, to do this sort of work and what it means to support people who are vulnerable and to really speak up when you see uh, something that is wrong, even when that could cost you personally. Um, she was on the front lines of robo-debt. She could see it was wrong. She tried to get her concerns heard. She wrote to the um, Department of Human Services Secretary, uh, Catherine Campbell, in February 2017. Her concerns were ignored. She resigned from the result, the role at Centrelink. She couldn't live with what, she, what was going on and what was happening there, um, and she retired. She lived with the thought that she may actually go to jail because of Australia's sort of, you know, issue with whistleblowers, which really needs to, frankly, be uh, fixed up immediately. Um, and to hear her on 7 8, she just seems like such a wonderful human. And I just want to see people like her celebrated. And I mean, to have that and to know, to make people feel it's okay to see something wrong and to go and speak up about it and to actually see those issues heard and to celebrate that. Like, we are just going to end up with everything will be better. Our workplaces will be better. Our public service will be better. Our, um, all these institutions, everything going on, imagine if we could celebrate that instead of threatening people and making people feel like they have to retire and like they have to, like like they could be going to jail. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that that was, yeah, such a great story to hear. And you wanted to share a final thought on uh, <clears throat> Scott Morrison. Is it is there any left to say about Scott Morrison? But, Tyler, I feel like you wanted a final thought for our former Prime Minister uh, who was in Italy, I believe, uh, as the uh, commission was handing over its findings on Friday. I mean, I think my final thought for Scott Morrison is just get in the bin, you know, and I think your piece this week really summed that up. So if anyone has missed that one on Women's Agenda, go and see it. It was one of uh, Andrew's best rants ever. Um, but, yeah, look, I think it's just ridiculous that he's still sitting there and he's still sitting there in Parliament, stubbornly sitting there, as we come to expect from Scott Morrison um, despite the findings against him, um, we know he was heavily implicated. Um, he hasn't necessarily disclosed how heavily implicated he has been yet, but he will 
no doubt um, have to at some point. Um, and, you know, the fact that the Liberal Party isn't calling for him to step down yet and that he is just, yeah, as I said, stubbornly sitting there saying that he's still going to um, be the member of Cork until, you know, he surely gets ousted <laughs> um, at the next yeah. election. At the next pre-selection, I imagine. I mean, he, but he gets his parliamentary privilege, he gets his parliamentary salary, and with that, you know, with that privilege comes the ability to defend himself. And I think that was what really kind of caught me with a few, there's a few reports out this week that suggested that he may actually stay now on account of the fact that this um, evidence has come out because he will have access to um, that parliamentary privilege. And it just... Uh, just like I just go back to the idea of legacy and I mean Scott Morrison did say that he was never interested in legacy so you know that should have been the ultimate red flag there but yeah there's just so much here it makes me so angry and annoyed and you mentioned the Liberal Party but you know again Bridget Archer stepping up and saying yeah you know maybe he should think about resigning so (laughs) maybe you should just just give it some thought there Um, I think your point as well around like you know it's never a good look for former prime ministers to sit on the back bench. We know that they are often sitting there like a dark cloud. We saw it definitely <laughs> in the case of Kevin Rudd and Malcolm Turnbull. It's just never a good look. But So, Tyler, can you remind me which former prime minister didn't go and sit on the back bench? I don't know. I actually hmm. don't know. Maybe it was the hmm. only one. <laughs> <laughs> the only yeah what was her I name know. again yeah so she, she you know <laughs> exactly. she didn't she's and she's having a great career internationally and um so mm. I, I am of course referring to Julia Gillard for those who don't know but yeah mm. in fairness to Scott Morrison I don't think that job opportunities will be as uh, easy to come by as they were for for Julia Gillard who you know genuinely people do look up to her and want to hear from her. I'm pretty sure no one really wants to hear from ScoMo anymore and potentially that's why he's doubling down on his very cushy position which sees him jetting off to Italy and wherever else at the drop of a hat. Um, But, yes, look, I think it is an absolute insult to all Australians, which is a key point that you made in your article. It's a, you know, we've watched this man lie and squirm his way um, around every issue um, for, you know, for years now and um and frankly we're all jack of it so time to go time to go scomo hey one final sentence of a final thought i reckon like we should take jeff kennett's idea and dock (laughs) the pay of uh scott morrison uh, every time he goes every day (laughs) that he doesn't actually appear in parliament because he's doing other stuff which has actually been quite a lot so for every day he's not holding the hose For every day, he's not holding. Exactly. There you go, Jeff. Can you take that? All right. That is it for the cuts for another week. A reminder, you can catch up on all the stories and other things that we did discuss at uh, womensagenda.com.au where you can subscribe to our daily news update as well. Uh, We did have quite a a conversation there about coercive control. So a reminder again that if you or someone you know is impacted by family or family violence or sexual assault, uh, you can call 1800RESPECT on 1800-737-732 or visit 1800RESPECT.org.au. A reminder in in an emergency call triple zero. Thank you for listening.